0: Welcome to Cuz We're Nerds, the podcast that covers trends and new releases in comic books, movies, video games, board games, and much more. I'm your host, Zach, and with me is my co-host and cousin, Caleb. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us in our current series, Road to Marvel's Infinity War, where we will be discussing each MCU movie in release order, all leading up to Marvel's Avengers Infinity War, coming out this week. Welcome to the jungle as we dive into Black Panther. What issues, if any, does this movie cause with the MCU timeline and Civil War storyline? What records has Black Panther achieved and can it be stopped? And finally, is Killmonger the best MCU villain to date? Find out these answers and much more on Cuzber Nerd's Road to Marvel's Infinity War, Black Panther. Now, Caleb, this is obviously a unique and star-studded cast, and included in this cast are two male actors, Martin Freeman and Andy Serkis. And what are these two best known for? I believe The Hobbit. That's correct. They are best known for Hobbit, Lord of the Rings franchise, as well as they have those two in common. Which means, Caleb, since both those books, Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings series, was written by J.R.R. Tolkien and both circus and freeman are the only two white guys in this movie it means that they are the two token white guys ah <laughs> uh, got them <laughs> just like us
1: <laughs> yeah well that's true this is a primarily african african-american uh
0: cast yeah that's right it set some records right of how many African-Americans they have just for casting purposes, or am I incorrect on that? I, I don't know about that in particular, but I know that this was culturally a really big deal
1: for the African-American community. Obviously, neither of us are part of that community, Zach, and so um, for me personally, I didn't actually realize how big of a deal this was for that community until I was talking with one of my friends, and and we were talking about how there aren't really that many Big budget movies, especially superhero movies, uh, with an African-American cast as wide as this. I mean, as you said, there's only two people in here of note, really, that aren't.
0: Yeah, that's correct. This, I mean, this is pretty big for giving that community representation. And Caleb, not only that, but superhero-wise, I mean, as we've gone through the MCU movies, sure, we have some side characters Uh, that are African-American, but not a whole cast.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's probably worth mentioning that this movie has been billed as the first African-American, African, black, however you want to say it, led superhero movie. That's not true. We had Blade in the 90s and early 2000s, and before that, we had Steel with Shaq in it. Uh, But in terms of mainstream modern-day films, that is correct.
0: Now, Caleb, it's interesting you mentioned Blade... Because going into the production of Black Panther... Wesley Snipes actually wanted to play Black Panther back in the 90s before he played Blade on the big screen.
1: Yeah, and you know, he didn't just want to play him. He was heavily involved. Uh, In fact, he partnered in the 90s with Columbia Pictures to make this movie happen, and he even got Stan Lee on board with it. All right, so what happened? I think ultimately that iteration of the project was abandoned because there was some confusion about whether or not. This was tied to the Black Panther Party, the uh, sure. political group, right? Um, and so that was kind of sidestepped for a little while. It ultimately appeared back on Marvel's film slate in 97, uh, but Marvel was having a lot of their own issues at that time, and so production was halted again. However, somehow Snipes ended up back on the project in 98 uh, to produce and maybe star. In fact, uh, Marvel made a deal with Artist in Entertainment to make the film, and then in 2002, Snipe said that he either wanted to do Blade 3 or Black Panther in 2003. So this has had a lot of roadblocks. Yeah, a lot of false starts more than roadblocks, really. Um, it was ultimately announced in 2005 as part of that licensing deal, financing deal that we've talked about with Marvel in the past. Um, and Snipes was still on to do it then. Even in 2006, he talked about how he wanted to uh, find a director for the project soon. However... Later that year, as history tells us, Snipes hit some issues with the law as he was charged with tax evasion, ended up going to jail and and doing all kinds of stuff for that. So that was the end of Snipes for this project. So between 2007 and 2013, Marvel brought on just different writers to try to figure this movie out. Um, It was part of their program to bring lesser known characters to the big screen. Uh, He apparently was considered to be in Iron Man 2. Obviously, he's not. Uh, We do get that reference to him at the end of that film, which we talked about in that episode of our podcast. Um, But that was kind of it for a while. It was brought up in interviews every now and then. And Kevin Feige was like, yeah, we're going to do it. We just don't know when or how. And then finally, in 2014, as part of the Phase 3 announcement event, uh, it was officially announced to be coming out. And they also announced Chadwick Boseman at that event as he was going to be playing Black Panther in Civil War.
0: And we talked about that heavily in our Civil War podcast and how Black Panther was tied into that movie and kind of how all that came about.
1: Right, and so from there, it was pretty smooth sailing. The date did shift around a little bit. Uh, This was initially supposed to come out last year in 2017, but because of the Sony Marvel deal, Spider-Man kind of slotted in to where Thor Ragnarok was going to be, which pushed that movie forward, which also pushed Black Panther forward to the February date it got this year.
0: And so we got Ryan Coogler to direct Black Panther.
1: That's right. So he was brought on uh, as Marvel was looking at various directors um, and then something happened and I guess it just wasn't working out and they stopped talking for a while. But then Creed came out, the Rocky uh, sequel movie, I guess you could call it, uh, and did, you know, really, really well. And that reignited talks with him um, and then Marvel ultimately brought him on board. Are you familiar with some of the other contenders uh, that they were talking to? List them out. Let's hear them. Okay, so one of them was Ava DuVernay, who uh, did Selma and A Wrinkle in Time, which is currently in theaters right now. Um, and she departed because she felt that the direction that they wanted to go in was not really where her heart was with this project. Um, and so before she got too far into it, she decided, no, I'm just not going to do it. They also looked at Gary Gray, who did The Italian Job, Straight out of Compton, and The Fate of the Furious. Um, all three of these, Gary, Ava, and Ryan are African American, um, so it's pretty clear that they wanted to bring that uh, that outlook to this film. It was stated a couple times through production that Feige wasn't looking just at that demographic to direct this film. They were looking at whoever would be the best director. But I think that if you can find a great director that also brings that experience to the film, that it is good for it, and that's what they ultimately did.
0: Yeah, and I think it went in a great direction with what Ryan was able to do. Now, it's interesting where you talk about representation here, Caleb. Okay, so we have an African-American director. The majority of the cast is African-American. And they also got Kendrick Lamar, uh, a very famous uh, African-American rapper. Have you heard about him before he released this soundtrack?
1: I have not, but I'm not really big into the music scene, so that's not surprising.
0: Okay, sure. So, Kendrick Lamar is... Pretty major uh, in the music scene, on the rap scene, and he was actually approached by Ryan Coogler to make up some songs for this movie. And initially, Kendrick was just going to do like one or two songs, but after watching the movie, he decided that he wanted to score a complete track. And so, I don't know if you've heard the songs like "All the Stars" or "Pray for Me," uh, you know, on the radio. "Pray for Me" was. Uh, co-written by The Weeknd, Uh, he he stars in that track as well. So, I mean, there's some major songs in here, and I thought, you know, I love the soundtrack to this movie. Unfortunately, I don't think the movie incorporates what Kendrick did enough. It incorporates some other themes which work really well. For marketing purposes, they were heavily pushing the fact that, you know, this had Kendrick Lamar's music in it.
1: And, you know, that's really not surprising. One of the things that Kugler brought to this film is he said when he when he signed on to do it, he told Marvel that he would do it, but he wanted to bring on his own collaborators. He felt that a lot of the previous Marvel movies had the same in-house people that were doing everything. They were doing the editing, they were doing the scoring, and he felt that they all felt the same. And so when he came in, he wanted to bring something new to that. He wanted to bring people he had worked with before into this film to help make it feel fresh.
0: And I think that bringing Lamar into this was part of that. Exactly, exactly. I mean, and some of the cast returned, Uh, (laughs) who he didn't bring in new. Um, Some of those would be Chadwick Boseman. Did you know that he actually did not audition for this role? I did not, no.
1: Yeah, so apparently Marvel brought him in and just talked to him about what he wanted to do with the character, and that was enough to sign him.
0: I like it. He did amazing in Civil War. He does even better here as T'Challa, Black Panther. I love this casting for Boseman. Yeah, I agree. We also have John Canny as T'Chaka. Martin Freeman as Everett K. Ross, and Andy Serkis as Ulysses Klaue. However, we also have a huge list of new actors who are joining us for this movie. So we have Michael B.
1: Jordan as Eric Killmonger. Obviously, we know him from probably several things, but the failed Fantastic Four reboot <laughs> a few years back. He was also in Chronicle. I knew
0: him coming into this, so I was excited for him to be here. What about you? So this means that we now have two human torches in the MCU one a hero as Chris Evans as Captain America, and one a villain as Michael B. Jordan and Eric Killmonger. Don't watch that second Fantastic Four franchise. It's worthless. It's hideous. You'll never get the hour and a half to two hours of your life back. You know, I knew him, so from Fantastic Four, uh, I haven't watched Creed, but I knew he was in Creed. An interesting tidbit is that on the Justice League Flashpoint movie, that animated movie, I don't know if you've seen it or not, He actually voices Cyborg. Oh, I didn't realize that. I have seen the movie,
1: but I had no idea he was part of the cast.
0: Yeah, he also, I mean, if you've played Gears of War 3, he voices uh, the character Jace Stratton. Okay, I have not. Yeah, and something I found interesting, I can't remember if we mentioned this back in Captain America Winter Soldier, but originally Michael B. Jordan auditioned to play Sam Wilson the Falcon back in 2013. Obviously didn't get the role there but got the role here. And I'm sure it had to do something with the fact that Ryan had him cast in Creed. And I'm sure, you know, what that relationship brought him back here for Eric. We also have Lupita Nyong'o as Nakia. Something interesting about Lupita is that her and Duke, and Duke played M'Baku uh, in this movie. They were both students at the Yale School of Drama. And when the Avengers movie came out, they both went to see it together and were like, wow, we wish we could be in an Avengers movie someday. Well, (laughs) they got into a superhero movie, so that's pretty cool. Now, we also have Denai Gurira as a Koye. Walking Dead. Yes, Walking Dead. You know, I didn't even recognize her in this film. It's kind of hard to recognize her. With no hair, I'll be honest, but during the South Korean scenes when she has hair, you can definitely tell who she is, and so if you're a fan of The Walking Dead, you will know her as the BA Swordmaster Michonne.
1: That's right. Uh, next we have Danielle Kaluya as Wakabi, Latita Wright as Shuri, uh, Winston Duke as M'Baku, Sterling K. Brown as N'Jobu.
0: And Caleb, I know you don't watch This Is Us, but Sterling K. Brown is also from This Is Us. So now you have two actors from This Is Us. Uh,
1: we also have legendary actress Angela Bassett as Ramonda or Ramonda. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Actually, I think they only say it once in the film uh, and also
0: Forrest Whitaker as Zuri. And so, Caleb, this is a vibrant cast and a lot went into the production of this movie. So why don't you jump in into describing what this movie is about?
1: After the death of his father, T'Challa returns home to the African nation of Wakanda to take his rightful place as king, but when a powerful enemy suddenly reappears, T'Challa's medal as king and as Black Panther is tested as he's drawn into a conflict that puts Wakanda and the entire world at risk. The young king must rally his allies and release the full power of Black Panther to defeat his foes and secure the safety of his
0: people. And so this movie opens up with a brief history of Wakanda. We find out that there was a meteorite that hit this small nation of Wakanda, and thus these five tribes rose up and fought each other over vibranium once they saw that you could make weapons out of vibranium. And then there's this heart-shaped herb that the strongest of the tribe members found and he was able to rule them all and he became the first black panther now caleb were you expecting this opening at all i wasn't
1: expecting this opening but what i wasn't expecting even more is how political this movie is going to get and and not even really political but how social it's going to be on its commentary here in the opening when it's talking about all this and it's talking about how the rest of the world moved on we get really very clear shots of Uh, African people being taken into slavery and obviously they would later be taken to America and other parts of the world Um, but I was surprised that they were hitting this head on like they do just because really no other Marvel movie had done this before
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think this Marvel movie does a great job being a Marvel movie while having a strong message and social commentary tied into it. And so I thought they do it gracefully. They do it really well. And this opening is a great kind of through line for that. And Caleb, I don't know if you know this, but actually a lot of what they said in the opening is all comic accurate. It was all explained in Avengers issue 87 with kind of T'Challa's backstory and Pretty much everything they stated is accurate to the comics. That heart-shaped herb is how the Black Panther gets their powers. It's like a super soldier ability. And it's later explained in the comic that this is like poisonous to all but the royal bloodline. Thus, you know, it stops people from just going out, drinking that herb or crushing it or whatever, eating it. So, I mean, it sticks pretty closely.
1: But I didn't realize how close this was. I, I haven't really read much into Black Panther, to be honest Uh, My exposure has mostly been crossovers and the animated film they did. Uh, So I'm I'm glad that they decided to stick close to the comics because I think it's it's interesting. It's not one that a lot of people read.
0: Yeah. And talking about the comics, we kind of skipped over this in Civil War and stated we'd come back to it. Knowing the backstory of Black Panther in the comics, do you know which comic book he first appeared in? I'll give you a hint. It's a pretty major one. I would think
1: either something like The Avengers or Fantastic Four or Spider-Man.
0: Good guesses, and you would be correct with your middle guess. So T'Challa slash The Black Panther first appeared in 1966 in the Fantastic Four issue 52. So he was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby and in it. He basically gives the Fantastic Four a craft. They're like, what is this technology? And so they go to Wakanda <laughs> to check it out. It's this really strange tale of the forest is like animated, like mechanical and so basically he tests them to see how powerful they are. They defeat him. And so he's like, oh, good. I need your help with defeating my enemy, Claw." And so <laughs> then, then they help him defeat Claw. So, I mean, it's obviously a side character to the Fantastic Four, but he was really well liked. So he kept making guest appearances in like Captain America, Fantastic Four, and other comics. And he finally got his own run in 1973 with the Jungle Action Comics for about three years. And I mean, now he has like five to six volumes. Something of note of the rich history of the Black Panther is, as we've talked about, he's the first African superhero. Another interesting tidbit is that his creation actually predates the Black Panther Party that you mentioned, Caleb. And so to avoid confusion, because after he was created, two months after the Black Panther Party was established. And so Stanley wanted to distance the character with the party. And so they named him Black Leopard. The name didn't stick. It was a really bad name. So they changed him back to Black Panther. And finally, an interesting story arc that could potentially happen in the MCU down the line is that he marries the X-Men Storm. But uh,
1: Black Panther, I think a lot of people that don't read comics don't realize how big of a character he is in the comics, how big of a player he is. Um, he is right up there with Captain America and Iron Man in terms of how important he is. So it's it's a little flip-flopped in the MCU, how we're getting him so late. Um, but it's nice that they're trying to bring that in
0: and make him the important character that he is in the comics. And even though they brought him in late, this is an important movie. So at least it carries that weight with it. Now, Caleb, I watched this movie again for our podcast, and I watched it with my wife. And during the movie, she leaned over and she was like, Are they speaking a different language or what language is this? And so you get to answer that question, or at least guess at that question, is the language they are speaking a Wakanda language they made up for this movie or is it an established African tongue?
1: It's not an existing language. It's a new language, but it is based off of some languages that are used in Africa. I don't have the specific ones in front of me, uh, but it is new.
0: Incorrect, unfortunately. It is actually an existing language. It's I I can't pronounce it. It's Xhosa. So Kosa Hosa, and it is a South African language uh, that you get by like clocks and stops, uh, and it's from the Cape region of South Africa. So it was actually John Canny, who he is uh, part of that tribe Kosa or Hosa, and he started speaking like that in Civil War. And so they just decided to keep it around and continue with that thread here in this movie.
1: Oh, you know what, Zach? Now that you say that, I think I might have seen that. What I think what I'm thinking of is the written language is inspired by some other languages.
0: Oh, that could definitely be true. And I love how they had the titles in this kind of African Wakanda dialect that they would then translate into English. So the audience would know kind of where we are in the movie. And so we quickly jump to Oakland in 1992. Now, you might ask, why Oakland? Why this opening setting? Uh, There actually could be several reasons. The first is that Ryan Coogler grew up in Oakland, and his first movie, Fruitvale Station, is set in Oakland. So it could be kind of a callback to that, or it could kind of be a callback to the fact that the Black Panther Party started in Oakland in 1966. But nonetheless... This is our setting.
1: Yeah, and so we jump back here and we see a a couple people who are talking in an apartment. It looks like they might be readying some kind of heist or something. We're not quite sure when they get a knock on the door. And one of them goes up and says, there's some,
0: quote, Grace Jones looking chicks here. (laughs) That's right. You know who Grace Jones is? No idea. (laughs) (laughs) She's a Jamaican born actress, singer and model. And she basically shaved her head. And so it's a call out to the fact that there are these tall female females who are bald. Well, they do end up coming in and uh,
1: we find out pretty quickly that these people are from Wakanda. We get the king,
0: T'Chaka here, played by a different actor. That's right. So we have T'Chaka and the other two would be young Zuri and then Nijabu. So both Zuri and T'Chaka are played by two different actors. They are both the sons of of their respective fathers who play the older versions of their characters in the movie. That's, (laughs) that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, so it's Atadwa Kani uh, is the son of John Kani and Denzel Whitaker, son of Forrest Whitaker, who, side note, is named after Denzel Washington. And
1: they they talk for a little bit, but we quickly find out that um, N'Jobu has assisted Uh, claw which we saw way back in age of ultron uh steal vibranium from wakanda and that the king has found out about it and he is basically calling him home to basically own up to these crimes
0: yeah and this is a uh, pretty big departure from the comics and jabu uh is actually not related i mean later there's a you know a huge reveal we'll get to but he's not related to any royal family and on top of that claw kind of coerced him forced him to work with him and because of it him and his family are all exiled from wakanda end up living in harlem new york but that's about it and this is really just half of the scene that we will ultimately get in this film and so we jump to present day africa where we are in a plane and are introduced to several different characters but we finally see Chadwick Boseman as the Black Panther. Now, Caleb, there is a severe timeline issue here, and when I googled it, there are no articles written on it, which means this is one of a kind found right here on our podcast alone.
1: Or you're just wrong, so go ahead and tell me (laughs) and we'll decide.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I actually went back and watched Civil War to make sure I was right, and Civil War... When Captain America and Scarlet Witch are talking on the news podcast, which is played by MSNBC, the news broadcaster said the explosion that happened last month. That is 100% accurate. Okay, so that explosion, that event happened last month. And we talked about that during the Civil War podcast. You with me? Yep. But here in the Black Panther movie, it says last week that was affirmed. I watched this movie twice and I had actually had to go and Google a couple articles and look up summaries of the movie to make sure I got that correct. And all the summaries I saw stated the events of Civil War, which happened about a week or two ago. Well, okay, so you might say, okay, Black Panther returns home kind of during the events of Civil War. Maybe he's able to jump back and forth, but that still doesn't work because later in the movie, T'Challa says he had handed over Zemo to Everett K. Ross. And it doesn't really make sense. So there's a huge disparity in the movie of when this actually takes place, timeline-wise.
1: Yeah, I think that that's probably an oversight. I think that you could say that, yeah, he comes back and then he he goes back to finish off Zemo and all that. And then he comes back and the rest of this movie happens. That would be weird. I don't really like thinking of
0: it that way. So yeah, I, I think really, it doesn't really matter though, right? Anyways, there's timeline issues. It doesn't add up. But, I mean, I agree with you, Caleb. It doesn't really matter. I just thought it was interesting to point out the fact that those timelines don't accurately match up.
1: Uh, But we do get some cool looks at the Wakandan technology here, which we didn't really get a look at in Civil War. Uh, We see the ship, which later on we kind of see looks like Black Panther. Uh, We do see this kind of sand technology that they have in this film, which I'm assuming is like grains of vibranium that they use. Yeah, really cool. Uh, But we are introduced to Okoye here, who is a Dora Milaje. This is not the same person that we saw in Civil War. This is a different one. Uh, Zach, why don't you tell us about her and the Dora Milaje in the comics?
0: Sure. I mean, just briefly, Okoye didn't appear until volume three, which I'm going to talk a lot about some of these characters. And if I say, guess what volume they come from, your answer is three, three. A lot of them come from three. And the first issue of three, which was in 1998. So there's no really huge plot twists here. She's just a character from the comics. She's one of the Dora and that's pretty much it. And the Dora themselves are basically personal bodyguards for the Black Panther and the King of Wakanda. They come from every, all of the five tribes in Wakanda. And they are also supposed to be potential queens to the next king. But... In the comics that's never really acted upon, and I don't think that's necessarily needs to be canon here for this movie as well. But of course, the Dora milaje as well appeared in volume three of Black Panther. And so, we do get some humor here in this scene, Zach. And I really like the humor that we
1: get. This is kind of introducing us to the kind of film this is going to be, the kind of humor we're going to get. And I think this is where Marvel really needs to go overall pull back the humor a little bit from some of your movies have these more dramatic moments like this film does, but sprinkle it with a little bit of humor, and that's pretty much what they've been doing in the Captain America films, both Civil War and Winter Soldier, and I I think it works really well. I never
0: freeze. (laughs) (laughs) And Caleb, you say dramatic moments. This opening could have been a very dramatic moment, which it was not because of the stupid vibranium armor that the Black Panther wears. Caleb... I said I hated it in Civil War. I think I hate it more in this movie because there are no stakes to this, right? In the comics, he's jumping around, he has to be secretive. It's it's kind of like Batman, right? He has to hide in the shadows because if he gets shot, he gets shot. Here, I'm not really sure why he was sneaking around, why he just didn't walk up to all of them. One of the scenes, he was shooting a guy was shooting at him, and nothing was happening. He was just walking. And so yes, it's cool, but uh, I just hate it. I guess I kind of liken this to the Spider-Man thing I talked about
1: in uh, two, our two episodes ago, I think, uh, where you know Spider-Man in the comics, it's a big deal. People not knowing who he is, they stripped that away for the movie. I think they're doing something similar here. It is mentioned later on when he gets the new suit that it can block small handguns, like nothing big. So I'm assuming the reason he's sneaking around here is because if they had a chain gun or something like that or a shotgun, it wasn't gonna block it very well. In addition to the fact that this is not even the upgraded suit.
0: Okay, that actually makes a lot of sense. Well, Caleb, we find out that he was here to rescue Nakia who was undercover as an agent. Now, Nakia does appear in the comics. She appears in volume three, volume three, issue one. She is a Dora Milaje, actually, in the comics, uh, which we'll get a kind of a callback here in the movie as well. And in the comics, she has an unhealthy level of fantasy towards the Black Panther. Like during this time, the Black Panther is dating another girl. She wants to date him. She basically tries to kill his girlfriend. And then she runs away, gets captured by a Black Panther's villain. What's important to note, though, is that she's basically dead. Killmonger finds her, uses these arcane methods to bring her back in the comics. And in the comics, she becomes the villain, Malice. So there's some call out to this in South Korea. If you remember, she's wearing green and red, kind of like poison <laughs> ivy. It's because in the comics, Malice is kind of like Poison Ivy because she uses toxins. Interesting. Okay, I, didn't, I wasn't aware that she uh, turned into a villain. So a potential story arc for Black Panther 2. Well, we quickly
1: zoom into Wakanda here while we're on the ship. And Zach, I think that Wakanda looks beautiful and it's perfect. It's the perfect blend of future and traditional architecture and lifestyle and stuff uh, that we get in these really big landscape shots.
0: Yeah, and you feel that with the African music that this movie brings in. You know, the drums are going and then you fly in into this technologically advanced world. It's kind of like an Atlantis. They say it's an El Dorado. And you definitely feel that. In the comics, the city is called Bernanzana. It's the capital city, but it's also known as the Golden City. And you said city. In the comics, Wakanda
1: kind of feels a lot more like a city, right? Technically, it's a country, but pretty much everything takes place in the city. And that's something that they did here in the movie that we'll talk about in the next scene, where they divided it out into the different tribes to help it seem like more of a country instead of that singular city.
0: And so we get introduced to two more characters, Shuri, who is T'Challa's sister, and Romonda is uh, T'Challa's mother. They both appear in the comics. That's pretty much it. The only really thing interesting to note is that in 2009, in the fifth volume, Shuri actually becomes the Black Panther after T'Challa is almost dead or considered dead. So that could be another potential story arc for a sequel to this movie. And before we
1: get too far into Wakanda, we are quickly taken to London for a short scene uh, where Eric... We don't know his name at this point, but Eric is looking at a museum and it's African museum. And it's a really great scene where basically a person dies because they've poisoned her coffee and they steal some vibranium artifacts. Now, something to note, Zach, here is, mentioned it in an earlier podcast, I live in the Atlanta area. This was shot in the High
0: Museum of Art which is in Atlanta, which I have been to. Oh, awesome. I know that basically all the scenes, except the South Korean scenes, were actually all filmed in Georgia. So even though this was like an African film, I mean, they're all filmed in Georgia.
1: Yeah, Marvel actually films a lot of their films in the Atlanta area now.
0: Yeah, and so you said, this is Eric. We really don't know his last name. They actually changed his last name from the comics because in the comics, he is Eric Killmonger, who didn't appear in volume three. He appeared in volume two, which was when uh, the Black Panther was still in a title called Jungle Action Comics, issue six in 1973. So in the comics, his real name is Jataka, and he lived with his dad in Harlem. Remember, his family was just exiled, so he had no relationship with T'Challa. There was no royal bloodline he was in. And in the comics, though, he has a lust for wanting to take over Wakanda. So he's tried through ritual combat, through coups to kill Black Panther and to take over the country in one of those first story arcs called Panther's Rage. It actually has a lot of tie in from Eric Killmonger and this movie. For example, he actually beats T'Challa in ritual combat. And guess where he throws him over? A waterfall. A waterfall. That's right. And he also has a sidekick, which is a leopard called Prey, which I believe this movie kind of gives a shout out to when he later on in the movie wears a golden suit. And a final callback to Eric Killmonger's character is an item we see in this museum.
1: Yes, the mask. So uh, Killmonger basically wears a mask or has worn a mask like this in the past. In the comics, it's, it's a lot more simple. It's streamlined, but this is basically a African interpretation of the same mask.
0: And so, as you mentioned, Caleb, they steal this vibranium and they do so with Claw's new hand. Now, he has a throwaway line here where he said he got his hand from Wakanda's sonic mining equipment. What did you think of it?
1: I think his hand is cool. In the comics, this is more of like when he extends it and he's got the cannon. It's just that he doesn't have a fake hand. So, I mean, I guess if you're going to be in public, it's going to make sense to have the fake hand. I think it's cool. I don't really know how it works as a mining tool. We never see that used in the film. But given how it can absorb the kinetic energy that we see
0: later in the film, I could go with the fact that they would use Sonics to mine it. Sure. And his hand itself, I thought, just was just strange. You know, rubbery. I hated it. I mean, I get it. Why it's rubbery, but I hated it. However, I thought Andy Serkis did a fantastic job as claw, so I quickly overlooked the hand. Yeah, it, it is rubbery, but I think it's supposed to be like that. Exactly. Back in Wakanda, the Black Panther T'Challa is getting inaugurated as the king of all five tribes and of Wakanda. And we get this kind of waterfall setting. Caleb, I don't know about you, but when the camera pans up the mountain and you see all these people kind of dancing and singing, it's a really cool shot, but the people look so bad. Like the CGI looks pretty off to me, at least.
1: Yeah, it doesn't look real. I don't think it looks bad. It's just not photorealistic for what we get. I know that they did build a set for this and they digitally extended it, which is probably why you're noticing it when it pans out.
0: And this is actually kind of based on the environment. It's based on two waterfalls. One's called the Quaza Falls that are in Brazil and Argentina, and the other are the Victoria Falls in Zambia, Zimbabwe. And so this setting is all based off of those waterfalls that actually exist.
1: And we are introduced to those five tribes we've talked
0: about a couple times, uh, and they are the Golden Tribe. So the Golden Tribe wears black and purple, which is the symbol of the sun in Africa and they also have a lot of panther-themed designs. We got the Border Tribe, which is based off of the Lestho architecture and language, and it has a lot of blue and wood, and they have rhino-themed weapons. You have the River Tribe, which has a lot of shells and green, and they wear crocodile skins and leather. You have the Mining Tribe, which is lion-themed designs. And finally, the Jabari Tribe, which has wood for a naturalism. And something interesting to note, is why all the other tribes speak that uh, dialect we talked about. The Jabari tribe actually speak a different African dialect.
1: Yeah, and that's to kind of help hit home the fact that they're
0: separate from everyone else. And so stripping away the Black Panther's powers here, we get Zuri, who is assumed, I guess, as kind of like a tribal elder. I mean, he does appear in the comics. He's in volume... Three. Volume three. And he's basically just a warrior who later on dies when uh, Suri becomes the Black Panther in volume five. And he dies protecting the original Black Panther.
1: And so we do get this ritual combat scene. And Zach, I have a question. It happens a couple times in this film. They give T'Challa
0: something that takes away his powers. Is this ever explained what it is or how it works? You know, that's a good question. Watching the movie, I just was like, oh, yeah, they, they can give you the power. So I'm just assuming they have found a herb or they make something in with the herb so that, you know, when you take it, it takes away your powers. But no, it's never explained.
1: Because later on in the film, uh, we'll see that they end up losing all of the Heart herb, which means there can't be any more Black Panthers. But if this stuff is still around that takes it away, you could easily
0: remove his powers. That's very true. But you're right, we do have a fight here with M'Baku, who fights the Black Panther. And actually in the comics, his name, it's actually the Manny. Yes, that is what he's known as. He's a villain in the comics, and
1: that's referenced a few times in this film, I think. But he does come in here to challenge T'Challa for the throne. Now, there is a really interesting issue with this scene, though, Zach. When he comes in, I don't know if you noticed, he says something like, glory to Hanuman. And I looked this up because I thought it was really interesting. Hanuman is actually a real deity in Hinduism.
0: It is. I'm assuming they had the Jabari tribe worship this real deity. I mean, it's a departure again from the comics since he worships a white gorilla and he bathes in like the blood and eats the flesh. And that's why he's like the man ape and he's a villain to like the Avengers and, you know, the Black Panther and all that fun stuff. But here it's a real god.
1: Yeah, so basically in the comics, he does worship that white ape god. His name's something like Gekre. I'm not really sure how you pronounce it because in the comics, they're part of the white gorilla cult as opposed to the panther cult. But for this movie, they basically kept that and just renamed it because they thought that white gorilla god or whatever sounded dumb. Um, So they borrowed this name. Uh, but because it is a real figure in Hinduism, this caused some issues. This Hindu deity is heavily featured in the Ramayana, which is a very important book or story in that culture and society. Um, and it's actually a monkey deity, which does tie back into the man ape uh, motif where he literally dresses up like a giant ape in the comics. Yep. And so in this story, Hanuman is actually tasked with retrieving something called the Sanjivani, which is a herb that can heal and revive the dead that is located on a mountain. All of this really closely mirrors this film where they have to get the herb to the mountain where the Jambari tribe is to quote unquote revive the dead T'Challa. See where I'm going with this?
0: Yeah, I am. That's actually a really interesting tie-in. I mean, I know they changed M'Baku's name because let's be honest here, Manape is a very derogatory villain (laughs) name here. Right. Um, And so I definitely agree with that name change, but that's really interesting that they changed, you know, change the God here to a, a Hindu deity and how well that actually ties in.
1: Yeah. And, you know, this actually did cause some issues, though, and some controversies because it is a deity. Uh, this line ended up being bleeped
0: out, any reference to it's bleeped out, in India. Sure, I can, and I can see why, too. In India, the deities are very respected, right? I mean, they don't eat cow meat. Right, and th- to them, it was kind of seen
1: as cultural appropriation, uh, basically taking that and bringing it into this tribe, which wouldn't have actually known about that. True. For our U.S. culture, I don't think it's a big deal, but for uh, the Hindu culture, for in- anyone with those sensitivities, I think it's probably a good call. Yeah, I would agree here. We do get one more reference to his comic book part and the mask that he's wearing when he comes in here. It is a gorilla mask.
0: So T'Challa defeats M'Baku in the fight and our kind of next scene is that we see that T'Challa is gaining the powers back through the herb and he goes to the ancestral plane. And I got this really strong Lion King vibe the first time we jumped at this ancestral plane. I'm assuming we see a bunch of Panthers, that the Panthers equal the ancestors, and there's kind of this tie-in here. I mean, I can't remember if they ever state the god's name or the deity's name, but in the comics, the tribes all worship the Panther god Bast, except for the Jabani tribe.
1: Yes, they do actually say that in this film. That is correct. Uh, And so this is kind of a cool callback to that. Um, And I do have some questions. Do they have to go through this
0: ceremony where they bury them every single time they get the powers my assumption would be actually no but it is more of a ritual something that they do i mean i know later on they bury him in the snow but again i feel like that's more of a ritual calling and it's something heavily ingrained kind of in their past and it's just part of their community okay uh but while he's in here he does get to speak to his father to chaka and for the most part too this is kind of like the comics the comics never state that it's the ancestral plane, but I mean, it has this feeling of like, you know, another realm. And
1: I think that this works really well in establishing the more spiritual side of Wakanda, uh, which we don't get too much of in this film, but is is a fairly big deal in the comics.
0: And so in the next few scenes, we actually get T'Challa kind of jumping around all over Wakanda. So first he kind of goes to the outskirts and visits Wakabi, who is in the comics, but's the chief of security. And he, just interestingly enough, is also killed when Zuri is killed in the comics, protecting the Black Panther when Suri becomes the new Black Panther. And it's also kind of brought up during the scene that Wakanda has this interesting refugee issue, which, again, Caleb, is a heavy social commentary issue that's happening right now. And so the idea is that why should Wakanda be closed when there are refugees that could use the resources and technology of Wakanda. So I like that they brought that up and they carry it through in this movie.
1: Yeah, it's very topical, especially when you consider a nation that closes borders and does have this plentiful bounty. But after T'Challa visits Wakabi, he does end up in the throne room uh, where he's talking to, I guess, like a council of advisors.
0: Yeah, I I am assuming that each tribe gets a representative. So it's just like the strongest warrior or representative of each tribe. And they have found Claw. They have discovered that he is now going to make a purchase in South Korea by selling this vibranium. And so T'Challa decides to go after him. Not before he makes a quick pit stop here in the Wakanda Tech Center with Shuri. And Zach, what are those? What are those? Yes. So Shuri here, that's actually a actually vine reference. If you didn't get that, the first viewing and the vine that they're referencing is there's basically a guy he's filming, uh, somebody getting arrested and he's talking to a cop. And then out of nowhere, he goes, I have one question for you, officer. And he pans down to the officer's shoes and he's just wearing these <laughs> like really bad sneakers. And he's like, what are those? So they just meme it here, which I mean's okay.
1: Yeah, pretty funny. We do get a reference to the Back to the Future franchise where she's talking about that old movie that they used
0: to watch. Yeah, not only the movie they watch, but they show that they have the Nike power shoes and later on they reference it again as she talks about a hoverboard. So this movie is referenced several times in this movie. But the important thing about this scene is really getting T'Challa the new costume. That's right. So he gets
1: a great new costume with new powers. Kinetic powers where it stores the kinetic energy uh, in in kind of a comedic scene. But when he's looking at them, he gets two options. He gets ones with a silver necklace and one with a gold necklace. In the comics, he has had a gold necklace uh, that he's used with gold accents on his costume. So that's a call out to that. But he has also
0: used the silver version. And it's kind of here too, Caleb, that we get an explanation of vibranium. I mean, it's kind of all throughout this movie but it's with the Komodo beads. They state that it's, you know, these vibraniums basically has been used in communication. It's used later in the movie to heal Everett K. Ross. It's used here to store connect energy. Basically, the question is, what can Vibranium not do? Which is a great tie-in, I thought, to Age of Ultron, because it was the Vibranium that helped make Vision. Vibranium, we find out, is the most versatile thing on the planet, which is a line from Age of
1: Ultron, which we really see carried out here. Um, and Zach, you mentioned the Komoyo beads, Um, Those are made of vibranium, and they are from the comics. They're actually powered off the vibranium mound that is in Wakanda. And in the comics, these actually have several uses. The primary one is that when you're born, you get something called a prime bead, which is just one of the balls, which basically stores all of your medical history. And then they have specialized ones that you can also add, um, such as an AV bead, which is like a holographic display, um, communication beads, which you can use to communicate with other Kamoyo beads and also use like sign language to text with them. Um, and then other very specialized ones here, they don't go into that, but I think they're also used for sort of the same thing, except for the, uh, history of health.
0: And so we visit our third kind of location in this movie, apart from Africa and London. We have South Korea. And I'll be honest, Caleb, are they putting this in to tailor to the Asian audiences?
1: That's a good and valid question because that's what they did in Iron Man 3. But no, that is not why this is here. This is here because they wanted a new location. They felt that in films, you always get the same like five or six locations, right? You get London, you get uh, New York, you get LA, stuff like that. And they wanted something different that they could bring to this film. Um, And South Korea was just basically what they decided on.
0: As they arrive in South Korea, Nakia, who's this kind of undercover agent, takes them into a parlor, which many people thought was used for the same filming of Casino Royale. This is actually a different, completely new set. But as we have our heroes, Nakia, T'Challa, Okoye walk up and like stand and like look over at the gambling tables. They're wearing green, black, and red in that order, respectively, which is actually the same colors for the Pan-African flag. Oh,
1: that's really cool. I I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, so that's kind of why they're all wearing those different vibrant colors.
1: Now, Zach, what do you think about the soundtrack here?
0: You know, it's here that we actually get one of the Kendrick Lamar songs. I can't remember which one, and it's sadly one of the only times we hear it here. I just wish we would have heard it more. But, you know, it it works. But we do quickly run into Everett K. Ross.
1: Yes, where he gets a quick talk with T'Challa. We get some references to Zemo, to Sokovia as well. And also, also there might be a Captain Marvel connection.
0: Yeah, okay. So, he has had a role change, Caleb. Because he used to be the Deputy Task Force Commander of the Joint Terrorism Unit. But now he is CIA. And before that, he was a pilot. So, I'm not really sure how they try to fit that all in. Because a CIA... Wouldn't it be the deputy task force? Command. Anyways, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't have to. But he was a pilot. That's kind of his story arc in this movie. And as you know, Captain Marvel is going to be taking place in the 90s, and Captain Marvel is a pilot. So there's a really good chance that we will see this character again in that movie, if not for just a cameo.
1: Zach, I hate to bust your bubble, but other people had that exact same thought. And so they took this question to Marvel, to the people making the movies, and Marvel said... No, <laughs> that's no. not gonna happen. Yeah, they said it they said it wasn't meant to be a reference to that, it was just a coincidence.
0: Well, just like Stan Lee and his cameo, I am going to take those poker chips and move them over <laughs> here for
1: safekeeping. I think this might be his best cameo. Now this whole scene basically ends up in a giant fight. The deal goes bad with Claw, and they basically go outside, grab
0: a car, and drive away. And Black Panther and the rest of his gang chase them. That's right. So on one hand, we have Nakia and Okoye, who are driving a car. And on the other hand, we have Shuri, who has had this remote driving car, you know, with the technology that's advanced in Wakanda, and Black Panther. So kind of these two cars chasing four other cars. Caleb, Andy Circus here is insane. I mean, like, would you like the SoundCloud to my mixtape? <laughs> like, he is insane, and I love it
1: i love his character in this film i'm very disappointed they killed him off yes but it does make for a very fun car chase Uh, i love the holographic car they have really great technology ultimately they do end up capturing claw
0: yeah so they end up capturing claw and it's at this scene where t'challa states every breath you take is mercy for me Uh, and which is actually a line directly from the comics It was spoken by the Black Panther, New New Avengers, issue 22 in 2014. And he's speaking to Namor, uh, who basically caused a tidal wave to crash over Wakanda. And so I thought it was kind of cool that they took that line directly from the source material.
1: Uh, And since they have Claw, they take him back to the CIA base, uh, where Everett wanted to take him. Uh, And we get some kind of talking here. It's mentioned that Wakanda is basically El Dorado. This is when Everett is talking to Claw himself. And Claw is trying to tell him about the wonders that are in Wakanda. Um, and Everett Ross kind of stops interrogating Claw about what he's doing and more about Wakanda, and he leaves the interrogation to actually ask T'Challa about this.
0: Yeah, and it's during this that we have seen that Killmonger and his crew have been sneaking up kind of behind the facility and blast their way in to save Claw. Now, Caleb, I don't know if you caught this but there's something that might be very similar to Killmonger's costume when you compare it to power levels over 9,000. You're talking about his vest? Yeah, I'm talking about his vest and kind of, I think it's a bluer shirt he's wearing as well. Yeah, that's
1: true. I actually got a Guardians vibe from his vest. It looks like uh, the ones that the Nova Corps wear. I'm talking
0: about Vegeta. Vegeta. Who is from Dragon Ball Z.
1: Killmonger does come in here and basically rescues Claw um, and escapes with him, and we don't get a chase scene, which is clearly could have turned into, but we just got one. So, so why? Um, instead,
0: what happens is Everett gets
1: shot here, and T'Challa decides to take him back to Wakanda.
0: Yeah, so he takes him back to Shuri, who drops a line, "Oh, another white boy," which is indicating Bucky from Civil War, which we'll see. Later on in the movie. But Wakabi here is pretty mad. That T'Challa was unable to bring back Claw, Which then ties into Eric Killmonger. Because we see that they have gone to a kind of abandoned airport plane yard.
1: Yeah I wasn't really sure exactly what this was either. But basically it's a graveyard for planes. And they're trying to make their way off. And then we get like a major plot twist here. As Eric basically kills everyone. Everyone. He kills his girlfriend. He kills uh, the other people over there. He kills Claw, which made me really, really sad.
0: Yeah, I really had hoped that he had stuck around. Caleb, I don't get why they kill him. Okay, this is actually an issue. Why did Eric kill Claw now, right? If his intention was just to get to Wakanda, he already knew where Wakanda was. Why didn't he kill Claw before and then just go to Wakanda? And present him to either the new king or T'Chaka and challenge T'Chaka. Did he know where Wakanda was? Yeah, because he kills Claw before Claw's able to tell him where Wakanda is.
1: I thought you meant before he teamed up with Claw. My assumption is he's with Claw because Claw knows all the information about Wakanda, and so that's why he's with him to begin with. And then this is just the most opportune time uh, to go ahead and take him out.
0: See, I still just disagree because the moment he learned about it, he would take him out. Like, why wait? Why go rescue him to kill him and like have him se- you know sell this whole you know and south It just doesn't really make sense. Because then the second issue is how does Claw not know who Eric is? Because it's stated in the movie that it was Eric's dad, right? Who worked with Claw in association, which means Claw should kind of know who Eric is. Oh, well, I disagree. I think that just because you work with someone doesn't mean you
1: know their kid. Especially, I mean, they they might not have even met in person. My dad works with tons of people that don't know me. Well, everybody knows me, Caleb. Well, yeah, but that's because you're the worst. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No! I'm just kidding. I get what you're saying about it not making a lot of sense. And I've actually thought about this myself. There's no good answer. Maybe it's because uh, Claude just revealed himself and he's on Wakanda's radar again. I don't know. But ultimately, he does kill him
0: and he takes him to Wakanda's borders. That's right. And he basically asserts that he is part of the bloodline. And a few random scenes are kind of thrown in here. We are shown that Everett Ross is healed and that Shuri healed him. We get a scene with T'Chaka and Nakia where he has this kind of starts a storyline with T'Chaka about the internal struggle of what to do with his nation. But it all kind of comes to a head, at least at this point in the movie, when we go to the Wakanda throw room and we get a Killmonger name drop.
1: Yeah, he's basically here saying that he wants to rule. Wakanda, uh, that he wants to challenge T'Challa for it, and we get a lot of his motivation here. He is upset that other people were saying earlier in the film that Wakanda is just here, and other people might need in and need the resources. Killmonger is upset that Wakanda has these resources, and that the black community worldwide has suffered for the past two, three hundred years, for however long it's been, and that Wakanda has not helped them. And he wants to change that. He wants to basically. Go and help them. He, he basically wants to bring them to power. And that's all stated here. And I just want to say real quickly, Zach, I love Killmonger's theme that they start using here. So T'Challa surprisingly
0: accepts this and they go to that waterfall where they can have their battle. That's right. And it's during this battle that we get at least one death and one apparent death. So Killmonger kind of sh- takes off his shirt, you know, the Marvel man without his shirt off. Um, T'Challa has done the same too, Chadwick Boseman. So lots of shirts off and we've seen that he scarred himself. So he's a lot of kills and it's through this battle that he's able to defeat T'Challa. And as I stated before, just like in the comics, he throws him over the waterfall, but not before killing Zuri. Now, I don't know about you, Caleb, but when he kills Zuri, they play this emotional music. You know, everybody in the movie is like, no, you killed Zuri. And I felt nothing because I'm like, we've seen this character like once. Okay, he's dead. Yeah, I'm sure that's sad, but it's not emotional.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't feel nothing, but I didn't feel much, right? I think it's meant more for the characters in the film, especially T'Challa, to kind of enrage him and make him fight harder. And Zach, this this fight scene is super intense, and I really love it. And look, I knew Infinity War was coming out this year. I knew Black Panther's not going to die. But when they threw him over that waterfall, I was convinced he was
0: dead, even though I knew he wasn't. Well, and to be honest, during this movie, you're not thinking about Infinity War. That's not in the forefront of your mind. You're focused on this movie itself. So I'm right there with you, Caleb. I was like, did they just kill him? Yeah, it's,
1: it's very emotional. And I think this is really where the bulk or the meat of the movie really kicks in. And this is where all of the big stuff that you will probably remember from this film takes
0: place. And this struggle, it's, it's where, for me, the interesting things happen. So, Eric Killmonger, after killing people, goes back to the Ancestral Chambers to now receive the power of the Black Panther. And it's here that when he's in the Ancestral Plane, they do something very different compared to T'Challa. And I actually really liked how it kind of changed. Now, I'm assuming what that means is that the Ancestral Plane can change based on who you are and what you kind of experience. Well,
1: if you look outside, you notice it's got the same sky, So maybe they're in the same like plane, but what materializes there is different. So I'm I'm assuming like if he went outside, it would be the same place. But yeah, this is really cool. This is um, also very emotional. I I felt there's actually um, a line in here where he says, everybody dies. And he's talking about just in general uh, in Oakland. And, you know, this is another really big commentary on African-American uh, social issues that historically African-Americans have had low income, have lived in neighborhoods that are not the safest and how it is incredibly sad and depressing that they have to grow up in these conditions where it's normal for their friends and their family to just be gunned down and in, in gang wars or or and uh, altercations with the police or, or whatever, what have you. And this, again, I was really surprised how much they were bringing this to the forefront.
0: And it helps you understand where Eric is coming from. Growing up in such an environment, yeah, no wonder he wants to use the technology and the firepower of Wakanda to help other people that were stuck in his predicament all around the globe. So I think this is one of the best scenes in the MCU that gives the villain a reason why they are doing what they're doing and emotionally attaches you to them i
1: agree and i think michael b jordan really really upsells this if it was a different actor i don't know if it would be as compelling Uh, but as he does get out of this ancestral plane he does order all the other people to burn the heart-shaped herb so there is no more except for the fact that one is whisked away to be with the royal family who ran off Uh, when Zuri and T'Challa were killed.
0: That's right. So they ran off to Gorilla City. Now, originally in the script, this was actually supposed to be a rainforest, but Ryan Coogler looked at it and was like, no, 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 no. This is going to be a snow-covered mountain instead. (laughs) So they changed it.
1: Yeah, and it really helps fit in with that Hanuman theme that we were talking about earlier. Um, And at this point, Ramonda, Ramonda, whatever, um, isn't wearing like a headdress like she has for the rest of the film. And she's got this flowing white hair. It's dreadlocks. Storm doesn't have dreadlocks. But aside from that, I feel like she looks a lot like Storm from the comics. And we do also get a lot more references to the comics. Um, That gorilla mask that M'Baku was wearing at the beginning is also carved into the face of the mountain here. We see that there. There is some foreshadowing of him becoming a villain uh, when they say we could be creating something worse than Killmonger. Um, And then... There's also name-dropped, quote, the great gorilla here, which could refer to the spirit or um, M'Baku himself.
0: And Caleb, when you said foreshadowing a villain, are you talking about foreshadowing M'Baku as Manape?
1: Yes, because they're specifically saying that by going here and giving him the heart-shaped herb, they could be creating something worse than
0: Eric. Now, what doesn't make sense is the fact that M'Baku stated that him and his tribe are all vegetarians. Now, I get it was done to be humorous. I laughed. It was funny, but it doesn't really make sense because A, they're all wearing fur. So un- unless like a bunch of the gorillas just died because of a plague and they got a bunch of fur, they have to be hunting gorillas. Or two, we later find out that Chichala was found by a fisherman who is down catching fish for their tribe to eat. So they actually wouldn't be vegetarians. They'd be like, Han vegetarians who eat fish? I don't know. It. I never took this
1: as being real. I thought it was all part of the joke. So, I mean, they said they had a fisherman. That proves they're not vegetarian, so. Tomatoes, tomatoes. Well, anyway, while they're here begging Umbaku to come back and help them, he reveals that he does have T'Challa here, that they found him with that fisherman. Um, and he says, nope, give him the heart-shaped herb because he didn't kill me during our combat. I will give him the decency of reviving him. And so they give him the herb, they do bury him in the snow, and he goes back into the ancestral plane.
0: And this is where a huge turn for his character happens. So previously he had found out that Eric is his cousin, Mm -hmm. and that his dad killed his uncle. And after doing that, just left Eric out. So this causes him to, when he goes to the ancestral plane, Talk to his dad. And it's kind of this flip, right? We said he's been struggling with this whole idea of opening Wakanda up to take in refugees, to help other people who are in bad situations. And I think it's here that he decides, wow, my dad has been hiding our city when we should have been helping people like Eric.
1: Yeah, and so he he really, I think, comes into his own here. He's wanted to be like his father through this whole movie. And this is where he decides, no, I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to do my own thing. And that's what he does Is he comes back out of this. He's alive now. And
0: uh, Shuri luckily brought a Black Panther suit with her. That's right. So he dons the Black Panther suit and makes his way to the kind of vibranium mountain where we have that facility to take down eric who has gathered some material as he's going to ship those weapons to the war dogs and caleb i do have a couple questions the first ones is this movie never really explains what these war dogs are are they secret agents so they're just learning information are they actually like people ready to get equipped with weapons and to take down governments
1: I'm assuming that the war dogs are those spies that they've talked about having in the rest of the world who can also be used as soldiers, but that's just
0: a guess. Okay. I mean, that kind of makes sense. Some secret agents. The other thing that we kind of breezed over is that Eric was able to get into Wakanda because of his blue lip and kind of, <laughs> you know, they've shown this throughout the movie. I'll just call it the blue lip, but they ingrained some Wakanda symbols that glow blue underneath your lip. How was his dad able to do this? So it glows the same color
1: as the vibranium. So I'm assuming it's either done with vibranium or it's laced with vibranium or something. And if his father helped claw steal vibranium, he would have had enough of it to do that.
0: I'm sure. Okay, that makes sense. Maybe like a kind of like a tattoo or a stitching.
1: Yeah. Um, And there is another call out here, Zach, which is kind of out of left field. I don't really know if it's coincidence or not. Uh, But when he's talking, when Eric is talking about sending these supplies out and talking about the war dogs, he said there's war dogs ready uh, to go with this plan in New York, London and Hong Kong. Those are the same three places that we have Sanctum Sanctorums in, in Doctor Strange. That's a really cool callback. Yeah, I I don't know if they did it on purpose, but I think it's pretty cool. It's probably Marvel, so they
0: probably did it on purpose. Who knows? (laughs) But we do see Killmonger's suit here, uh, which is gold. And it's a callback, as I mentioned before, to his... Well, it's several callbacks. It could be a callback to his pet animal in the comics, or a callback to the fact that the Black Panther went with the Black Leopard a different name in the comics, which Killmonger kind of looks like with this spotted gold and black suit.
1: Yeah, the, he's got like a leopard print on him. And he also has like this fang pattern on his mouth that makes him look a lot more uh, intense than Black Panther. But he does end up pretty much engaging T'Challa in combat here. T'Challa shows up and he he kind of fights with the army for a little bit, but then goes off to Eric. Uh, and we end up with this big, massive two or three prongs in fight scene.
0: Yeah, pretty much. It's, I mean, a great fight scene. We get a few different elements. We get these shawls that the military are able to throw up. and kind of his men, you know, the border tribe. I thought it was kind of cool that they were able to throw up these shields. Oh, yeah. It always failed when they try to do it, so.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, they're meant to stave off people that aren't using vibranium weapons.
0: That is true. We also get the rhinos. That the border tribe call in to help defend or well win the battle and which is a call out to the comics because in the comics the black panther has fought several rhinos specifically in that storyline the first storyline with eric killmonger
1: yeah and this is where i think the cgi looks a bit shaky pretty much in this whole in fight scene i know when they're fighting um they they look a little bit rubbery i don't have a big issue with that my bigger issue with is these rhinos they just don't look right. I don't know.
0: Yeah, they look okay, but I could definitely have done without them. What I will say looks amazing is the Dora Milaje.
1: Yes, they do have some fight scenes here. In fact, they go after Eric uh, before T'Challa gets to him. Um, and it's a really, really great fight scene. He ends up actually killing one of the Dora Milaje. I thought it was the one we see in Civil War. That's what I thought too. But later on, I thought I saw her in the crowd, so I wasn't sure. I mean, it is kind of hard to tell. Um, it's from a distance. We don't really see their face close up. All the Dora Milaje have their heads shaved. They're wearing the same costume. So it's, it's hard to tell exactly which one because they never really focus on it, except for uh, when Okoye gets upset. But I, I, I think that they are
0: awesome. And what we do see here is that Nakia, as well as Shuri, have geared up to try to take down Killmonger. Both of them are unsuccessful, uh, even though that they do have some cool new equipment. Nakia with these Tron glowing rings, basically, and Shuri... With cannons that are kind of like the same ones that Claw was using.
1: Yeah, I actually really like the design of her hand cannons. Um, they they look really cool, and we do also get a side story here with Everett Ross, uh, where he has to gun down these ships that are, I think, taking supplies out or taking
0: missiles out or something. Yeah, to be honest, it is I think a not needed side story. They could have you know easily had those ships blow up, you know, because Black Panther throw something at him or or something like that, right? I mean, I get why they did it. They have to give Everett Ross a side story and they needed him to do something. But that was probably the least exciting part of this whole battle. Yeah, I
1: I agree. But at least they didn't bring him in here and then just not do anything with him.
0: And so kind of wrapping up this battle, what eventually happens is that the Black Panther takes on Eric and they both kind of fall through this tunneling and the shaft that we had seen before. Um, into the mountain, and they land on one of the train tracks that transports the vibranium uh, throughout this facility. And earlier, we had heard that because of this facility, that Shuri had built some type of technology that allows the vibranium to be processed and move at very high speeds. But because they're moving at such high speeds, it's going to affect Their vibranium suits, but
1: yes, they do affect the suits, and we get. I think there's really cool effects where there's like holes, moving holes all over the suits. I was impressed by how that part of it looked. The fight scene is okay. There's some tense shots. I think overall, this the
0: fight is not very tense,
1: but of course, it does end up with T'Challa winning.
0: That's right, and I don't know if you got this feel, but I definitely got a Star Wars: The Phantom Menace feel, and I don't mean let's try spinning. That's a good trick. I mean, like, the ending where we have Obi-Wan Kenobi, Qui-Gon Jinn, and Darth Maul, and they're waiting because of those shield shutters. It felt like the same with the train and them, Killmonger on one side, Black Panther on the other side, waiting.
1: Yeah, that I didn't actually think of that, but that is exactly what it's like. I, that's a good call-out, Zach. Um, another call-out mention that we have here is, at one point, I think it's Eric. They, like, go and jump off the side, and they grab... One of the magnetic things and it swings them around with their claws, which is pretty much the exact same thing that Wolverine does
0: in the very first X-Men movie when he's on the Statue of Liberty. You still remember those movies? I have scrubbed them from my mind. No, the X-Men movies aren't bad. Well, the first few. (laughs) You know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? Look, I didn't say they were all good. It was like (laughs) the first one. Give it a break. Well, it's here that Killmonger does eventually die at the hands of Black Panther. Well, I guess before dying, he gets stabbed and T'Challa takes him up to see a sunset. And I thought this was a great death for Eric because he states something to the to the fact of I would rather die a free man than to live a slate.
1: Yeah, uh, he actually says he wants to be buried in the ocean with his ancestors that jumped from ships because they knew death was better than bondage. Uh, which, again, is really bringing that message to the forefront um, in, I think, a very, very powerful way. He's still convicted. This is not a villain that when he's dying, he decides, oh, I was wrong. This is more, I think, real life where he has decided something and he's going to carry it out. And even on his deathbed, he is not going to forsake his values. Um, and this, to me, was very touching. It's beautiful with the sunset. And I think if you're going to kill the villain... This is the way to do it, right? Like, I don't want them to copy this in every other film, but this is the best, best, best villain death we have gotten in any Marvel movie. But with that, the threat has been stayed, and we get some scenes kind of showing what's happening to Wakanda after this. Uh, T'Challa does meet up with Nakia, as it's revealed
0: that she might stay in Wakanda with him. So we'll see her again in Infinity War next week. This week, Zach. This week. And kind of a final scene to wrap up this movie shows us back in Oakland where this movie opened up. And we actually get a Moonlight cameo. Did you ever watch that uh, movie, Caleb? No, I don't even know what that is. Yeah, so it's an Oscar winning film, uh, but it stars Alex R. Hebert who played a character called Little. It has the same feel as this movie, as it's kind of a social commentary.
1: And that social commentary is followed up with the fact that T'Challa has purchased this building and he's going to start opening outreach centers to finally become his own king, decide his own stuff that he's going to do, which is help others outside of Wakanda. And roll credits. Where we very soon get a scene in the United Nations that I'm not really sure why it's not in the film
0: itself. Did they just need an extra credit scene and want to include this? I mean, I love these brief credits we get before this scene. I think the stylization of them are done really well. And I think it's kind of just repeating what they did at the end of the movie in Oakland. Because what we see here, Caleb, I mean, it's half of a social commentary and half ties into the movie. Half of it, I feel like, was Chadwick Boseman basically speaking to people directly and saying, Hey, we live in a kind of a rough time now. Now more than ever, people need to band together and watch after each other like we're one big tribe. So I felt like that was a social commentary. But then on the other hand, it ties into the movie because you have that reporter being like, well, how can Wakanda help out? And then they all smile like, you an idiot. We got money. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it just it feels off
1: being here instead of in the film itself. I think it's needed because it shows that they're not only building outreach centers, they're going to basically reveal who they are to the world. So
0: I like it from that aspect. It's just weird that it's placed here. And our next in credit scene has to do with Bucky who awakens and it looks like he is all okay, which is actually from an Infinity War prelude comic, which shows that Shuri was able to figure out how to undo all the damage and brainwashing that had happened to Bucky without taking away any of his abilities or skills. Yeah, it's nice to see him. I don't think it's needed. But it's cool. But more interesting is we get a call out. He is called the White Wolf, which is actually from the comics, from the Black Panther comics. It takes place in volume three. In volume three, uh, issue four in 1999. So the White Wolf is Hunter, who is the adopted son of T'Chaka, which means it's T'Challa's adopted brother. Like his family died in a plane crash. uh, And so he just lives in Wakanda. And he eventually, like, becomes the leader of this secret police force. And Black Panther, when he becomes the king, gets rid of him in the comics. Um, well, gets rid of this police force, so he kind of runs away. And he, after he becomes the leader, he's known as the White Wolf. So it could be leading to him kind of owning some type of this police force. I mean, he wears the same costume as Black Panther. It's just white instead of black and silver. What's interesting to note as well is that the shawl he is wearing during this scene has hints of red and blue
1: oh Mm -hmm. i did not notice that's
0: right which means now in each movie bucky has appeared even in captain america he has at some point held the shield or had a motif of red white and blue surrounding him potentially pointing to the fact that he could be taking over the mantle of captain america but not until he cuts that hair (laughs) true and that ends our movie so Caleb, this movie is still out in theaters. When I went inside about a week ago, it was packed. There were still like 20, 25 people watching it, probably on preparation for Infinity War. So keeping that in mind, how is this movie continually doing critically and commercially as of today? So you said yours was packed. I actually saw this opening weekend and
1: then I went again about a week ago. I tried to go the week before that, but I got to the theater and it was sold out completely which is insane considering this movie has been out for a month and a half, almost two months at that point, a long time. It is doing very, very well. It was released February 16th of 2018, this year, and its budget has not been officially released, but it's estimated to be between 200 and $210 million. Currently, its worldwide gross is sitting at $1,315,000,000, which is enormous, Zach. And this this has just done so much business. People keep going to see it um, and has received really, really well. It's got a 96 percent on Rotten Tomatoes and an 88 on Metacritic, making it the highest rated MCU
0: movie out of all of them. So you said one billion. I know this has surpassed Titanic and how much money it has made. Is this now the highest grossing movie of all time? I mean, if not, it has to be in the top what? three, four? Uh, It's actually not. Right now, it's sitting at 10th highest grossing of all time. Counting for inflation or not counting for inflation?
1: I was actually just about to say, I'm not sure which that is. I I didn't check the one I, I was checking against the chart, but it is currently the 10th highest grossing. I think it will move up the list.
0: Sure. I'm assuming that's probably with uh inflation. As I know, it probably has already surpassed Avatar as well. Yeah, it's it's
1: going to do very, very well once it finally ends. Uh, but that's not all it did. It is also the highest grossing solo superhero film, uh, the third highest grossing of the MCU, currently behind Avengers 1 and 2. Second highest grossing of the MCU. Oh, see, it's already gone up since I wrote my notes, um, which means it might be higher than the 10th at this point as well. It also had the highest superhero presale tickets two weeks before it came out. Uh, on Fandango, but because it is so new, it does not have any awards yet because
0: none of the award shows have happened. I also do know that this is the first Marvel movie that made up its budget just in its opening weekend alone. And so you said, Caleb, it budgeted around 200,000 was probably its budget. And in the opening weekend, that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it made 202,000 back. A million, but yes. (laughs) Yeah, 1000 that's like nothing. 200 (laughs) million, yes. So Caleb, the legacy of this movie is pretty big. I know we've already talked about it, but I just want to reiterate the fact that because this has had basically an all African-American cast, it is huge and the representation it has given from the director being black to the cast to the music. I mean, this is a pretty big milestone. Martin Freeman, you know, one of the two token white guys in response to being asked, what did it feel like, you know, to being one of the only white actors on set? And he said, quote, you think, right, this is what black actors feel like all the time. So I just want to state that. I mean, I know it's kind of hard for us to put ourselves in that shoes, Caleb, because we are both two token white guys. But it is interesting, to you know, this is getting representation to heroes and to uh, people who might not get representation in movies all the time.
1: And it's not just that representation, but they are receiving this really, really, really well. Uh, Both times I saw this, there was a much higher percentage uh, of the African-American demographic than there normally is in these types of films. In fact, the second time I went to see this, I actually saw people dressed up in traditional African garb, which I thought was really cool. You really don't see that very often. And so it's, it's doing really, really well in that
0: regard. And Caleb, you say traditional African garb. This was extremely well-received in Africa as well, because when you think about movies that deal with Africa, the continent, what do you think of? Bloody Diamonds, Black Hawk Down, Hotel Rwanda, Beast of No Nation, these just very negative, dark movies. That's not Black Panther. Black Panther is very you know it's historic it takes this culture but it paints it in such a positive and uplifting light with hey look this is Wakanda a powerful nation a great nation that welcomes everybody
1: yes it's very progressive in the way it handles all of this now in terms of the MCU legacy things are a bit different this really is not connected very much to the rest of the MCU and so It doesn't have as much legacy as some of our other films. Obviously, it really expands on the use of vibranium. I think that we're going to be seeing a lot of that in Infinity War and potentially the sequel and how they use it. I mean, we've already seen lots of it in the trailers with their little hovercrafts. So I think that's going to be a big focus moving forward.
0: Yeah. And other than that, it goes against some, you know, some of the other legacy we've talked about in the last two podcasts, unlike Homecoming and Thor three, this didn't have any other superhero in it. So it'll be interesting with Black Panther two if they do include other MCU movies. However, Wakanda and Black Panther and all these heroes we saw in this movie will play a huge role in infinity war. So with this movie wrapped up, where do you place Black Panther, the last of our movies, on the road to Marvel's Infinity War?
1: Well, Zach, when I look at this movie, it is clearly a much better movie than most of the MCU. It doesn't matter how you feel about them. It's just a better made movie. And so I kind of lined it up with Iron Man and I said, is it better than Iron Man? And yeah, and it just kept going up the ladder with that. It's better than Iron Man. It's better than Spider-Man. I think it's better than the first Avengers. I think it's better than both Guardians of the Galaxies. And so I got up to the top of my list, which is Winter Soldier and Civil War. And I'm like, well, is it better than these? And you know what? I think it's better than Civil War because Civil War is such a fun movie, but it's not tight and cohesive the same way this film is. Um, And you know, look, I I like this film. I was not excited at all for this film coming out because all I was looking at was Infinity War, right? Um, But this one surprised me. It does feel a bit long in parts, but I have no idea what you would cut, what you would change. Um, It breathes when it needs to, and it's dramatic when it needs to as well. And so it's it's really good in that. The female characters in this movie are great. Uh, The African, African African-American, black demographic, community representation is amazing. And I really, really love the new environment. Also just great soundtrack. (laughs) So yeah, it is better than civil war. I don't think it reaches the heights that winter soldier reaches for me personally. Um, I think that that's probably just a taste thing. Uh, so I'm actually going to put it between those, which puts it at my number two, really high up on my list from one all the way down to 18. At this point, my list is now Captain America The Winter Soldier, at number 2, Black Panther, and then Captain America Civil War, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, The Avengers, Spider-Man Homecoming, Iron Man 1, Thor Ragnarok, Doctor Strange, Thor 1, Avengers Age of Ultron, Thor the Dark World, Captain America The First Avenger, Ant-Man, The Incredible Hulk,
0: Iron Man 3, <laughs> and then Iron Man Two. Wow, that's that's really high. That's awesome. What did you think, Zach? All right, so this was a great movie. I would agree with you, Caleb. I wasn't really looking forward to it because I was thinking Infinity War, Infinity War, Infinity War, <laughs> Infinity War. Um, and I was just hoping this movie tied into Infinity War, which it really doesn't, to be honest. I mean, it will, but it doesn't give us any promos into Infinity War. So I was disappointed in that. But just looking at this movie as a standalone movie, it is a great movie great villain the storyline sticks together you know you root for the hero again i I hate the vibranium costume but it's fine you know it works um the representation that it gives the african american community i think is a great and huge milestone here the music by kendrick lamar was amazing why didn't they mix it more into this film i don't know so you know there's there's a mix of good and bad with overall it being a good film So where do I put it? I would agree with you. It is better than Iron Man. It is better than Spider-Man, but it's just out of reach of my top five. I love humorous movies. I love movies where they have a lot of heroes together, which is why Thor Ragnarok is my three Avengers is my four and Guardians of the Galaxy volume one is my five. And I just don't see Black Panther breaking that top five. However, it does reach my sixth spot in my list of movies. So when I rank all the movies that are currently out in theaters right now or out on DVDs, the 17, no, 18 Marvel movies, which means, fittingly, Iron Man's almost in the middle at number eight, and bringing my list from top down is Captain America Civil War at one, Captain America Winter Soldier is two, Thor Ragnarok is three, Avengers is four, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 is five, wrapping up my top five, and then we have Black Panther is six. Spider-Man Homecoming at 7, Iron Man at 8, Ant-Man at 9, Captain America at 10, and my last 8 would be Doctor Strange at 11, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 at 12, Avengers Age of Ultron at 13, Thor 2 at 14, Thor at 15, and the last 3 I'll never see again, Iron Man 2 at 16, Incredible Hulk at 17, and Iron Man 3 at 18.
1: Wow, well, you know what? We got this far. We've done 18 movies. Zach, we are from time of recording, seven days away from Infinity War. Are you pumped?
0: I am pumped. And we have a special surprise for everybody. Caleb, are you ready?
1: Zach, I am beyond ready. This This really feels like a culmination of the past 10 years of my life, which on one hand is really exciting, and on the other hand, is kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got an awesome shirt for it. I have a, another shirt that I'm probably going to wear to our second viewing when, when, when I go see this. Uh, it says, more than a fan. It's got all the movies on the back. But anyway, uh, yes, I I am super pumped. Everybody I know is super pumped, so I'm ready. I I am spoiler free. The only things I've seen
0: are the two uh, theatrical trailers they've released. I haven't seen anything else. That's good, yep. I have stayed spoiler free, and I am excited going into this movie. You know who also is excited and probably appeared in Volume 3 of Black Panther? (laughs) <laughs> Taylor, Taylor Poole. Poole that's right he's done amazing music music for us go check him out at T-A-Y-L-O-R P-O-O-L-E music.com and while you're waiting on
1: our next episode please go check out our friends at C&C Power Hour where they stream Match the Gathering and various video games throughout the week that's C, the
0: letter N, C, Power Hour on Twitch. And finally, with Infinity War, just right around the corner, we would love if you would point your friends, your family members, your pets to our website, CuzWe'reNerds.com. You can find all the places you can listen to our podcast there. Thanks for listening to because Nerds, Road to Marvel's Infinity War, Black Panther. We would love to hear your comments or feedback at cuzwernerds at gmail.com. That's C-U-Z-W-E-R-E-N-E-R-D-S at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a review on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or any other major social networking or podcasting sites. Join us next week as our culmination of the last four months leads to Marvel's Avengers Infinity War we have a very special surprise in store for you as we break down the Infinity War movie. Will our past predictions all come true? How will this movie set up Marvel for phase four? And where will Infinity War fit and our ultimate rankings of all MCU movies? Find out these questions and much more on Cuz Nerds Road to Marvel's Infinity War. Stay nerdy. And Denzel Whitewalker is the son of Forrest Whitewalker, who is named after Denzel Washington. It's definitely Whitaker. Did I just say Whitewalker? <laughs> I've been watching too much Game of Thrones. <laughs>